Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Recovery podcast. This podcast is a platform for education, discussion, and conversations on mental health. I'm your host, Amira Shah, and in this podcast, you'll get to know more about the therapeutic process, insight into life from the perspective of the psyche, and also join me in exploring current issues with other practitioners. I specialize in grief, but I'm always interested in learning about the human experience of the mind, heart, and spirit. So join me on this journey of in-depth learning about ourselves and the world we live in. Hi everyone, welcome back to Science of the Soul. I have with me today a special guest and a colleague, Pokala Kiara. She is a fellow counselor and she has her own private practice. It's called Marama Counseling. She practices here in Brisbane in Australia. And I'm really glad to have met her after, I don't know, like two, three years now. So mm. hi, Pokala. Thank you for doing this today. Hi, Amira. That's okay. I'm very happy to be here. I really enjoyed our catch up earlier this afternoon. Um, I can't believe I haven't seen you in so many years, but we've kept in touch over the years. And I'm really interested in how you've developed professionally and what your areas of expertise are these days. Well, we did study together um, at the University of Queensland. Um, since then, I've worked with uh, youths and teenagers mostly. Um, and I've developed a special interest in ASD. Mm -hmm. um, I've also was personally diagnosed with ASD last year, um, which adds to that interest. Um, yes, yeah, so that's pretty much the direction I've been heading mm -hmm. um, at the moment. I do see all types of clients, but um, yes, I have a special understanding around ASD. Um, just for the listeners, ASD stands for... Autism Spectrum Disorder. Thank you very much. And um, although it is a spectrum, uh, we chatted earlier, you mentioned something about levels. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Usually during an ASD diagnosis, um, you will be assigned a level. Um, the level describes almost your level of distress that you experience so it's you can shift throughout the levels um with therapy with different things level one would be um an autism spectrum disorder that didn't cause you too much distress in your life uh it still has an impact you still have the features of asd it just you're, you're functioning quite well um level two mm -hmm you're starting to have some marked distress you're not coping quite as well you probably need a little bit more support just to get yourself working um, in a manner that you are less distressed mm -hmm. level three um, usually describes someone who um, has a lot of distress around their symptoms um, many level three children that i have met are nonverbal or have been nonverbal for a period mm -hmm. um, as I said before, you can move through the levels. Level three would just mean you would need quite a bit of support just mm. to function in a manner that you feel okay and calm and less distressed. Mm. 
And would someone on level three need to be in a different, for a child or a youth in a different education system? Um, usually that would probably be quite helpful to them. Um, they all, a lot of ASD people, including level two, would need um, other supports um, like OT, which is occupational therapy, mm-hmm. or um, speech therapy, behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they would benefit from seeing a psychologist who specializes in ASD mm-hmm. um, and different sensory tools and things like that that can help them to calm their sensory system. Uh, many people with ASD get quite overstimulated or mm-hmm. understimulated. There is a spectrum with mm-hmm. stimulation. Um, some people are sensory avoidant and mm-hmm. some people are sensory seeking. Can I ask you a question about mm-hmm. that? Is it possible to be sensory averse with some senses and um, what was the other one? Um, sensory seeking. Sensory seeking with some other senses within one person. Yes, I think that is quite possible. Usually with um, ASD uh, individuals, they would see an occupational therapist who mm-hmm. would assess. Um, so they fill out a survey, which is quite involved. It asks them a lot of different questions about how they perceive the different senses. Mm-hmm. Um, so after they answered this survey, this mm-hmm. questionnaire, that would give the occupational therapist information about whether they are sensory seeking or sensory avoidant with each sense. And it is possible mm. to be sensory seeking okay. with some senses and sensory avoidant in others. Well, I trained in behavioral therapy, I want to say more than 10 years ago. So that's a long time ago. Um, I'm sure a lot has developed mm. since then. But um, I did apply behavioral um, analysis mm-hmm. and that's called ABA therapy and what happened there was I worked with I'm guessing now from what you're saying I'm just reflecting back mm. to my past experiences um, probably I worked with children and youth so probably level threes mm. and the reason why I asked that is um, because I remember that some of my students or my clients would seek for sensations like taste Mm. um, or, you know, she would put like, for example, I had a client, she would put a lot of sauce in her food, like a Mm. lot of sauce. And later that led her to be uh, diabetic at a very young age. Oh, wow. Yeah, she would need a lot of sugar, a lot of salt um, in order to be satisfied with what she was consuming. But at the same time, when she was outside, she would be quite distressed from sound yes. or um, light. I was not, yes. can't really remember what her main um, issues were back then. But yeah, that that kind of that kind of confused me as a young practitioner at the time. Yes. I didn't really understand yeah. why one person could manifest in yeah, so many different, different ways. ways. Yeah. Yes, and. As you're saying, like not all ASD people are the same. So mm-hmm. not all ASD people will be aversive to light. Um, I myself am, am aversive to light and sound. Um, 
but not all ASD people are. Some mm. ASD people like to make a lot of noise. Um, mm. That is part of their stim. Uh, a stim um, for an ASD person is a movement or a vocalization that helps them to calm down. Yeah. Uh, a lot of children with ASD will flap or mm. clap. Um, some like to yell and have. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a vocal tick. Um, it, but it helps to calm down their sensory system. Yeah. But yes, all. ASD people are very diverse, and I yeah. guess that's what the word spectrum yeah. implies. Um, so what made you resonate with this um, group? Um, well, I didn't know um, at the start of my practice that I had ASD, but my little brother was diagnosed with ASD when I was, I think I must have been about 19. Mm-hmm. Um, he was non-verbal, so he would be a level three ASD mm-hmm. um, when he was first diagnosed. Um, I just really loved learning about what he liked to do and how he saw things. Um, I liked that he taught me to be patient. Um, I liked that he was different. Mm. Um, it was very easy for me to get him and understand him. Um I love his honesty. He's very honest. <laughs> Some people don't like that. It's a bit too honest, but mm. I love it. He's very authentic. Um, yeah, so he, he sparked my interest with ASD. Um, because he was nonverbal, um, I had to learn sign language to speak mm. with him. Um, and then he became verbal. As I said, you can move through the levels. Um, he became verbal and I loved the way he would vocalize his thoughts it was there was no filter um he's now 14 um he's still very cute (laughs) but yes he he was the one that sparked my interest in asd and um you mentioned earlier today that um asd presents differently in females than in males Yes, well, um, some of the features can be the same uh, or quite similar, like what we were discussing before, sensory aversions and Mm -hmm. sensory seeking. But much of the literature and what we've learned and we're taught at university is based around uh, clients or people that present with ASD that are male. Mm -hmm. Um, Females can be quite different and mostly in their social, the way that they work socially is presents quite differently um, Mm. with individuals with ASD that are either male or female. Um, Females are more likely to mask. Mm. Um, Males also do this, but females are are slightly better at this. Uh, Masking is where you will pretend almost, you will act um, in a way that you perceive to be more acceptable Mm -hmm. in either a social setting or a social situation. But it's not actually true to how you would normally portray yourself if you were alone mm. or at home. Um, many girls hold it together at school um, and present a masked version of themselves but will melt down later. And when home. you're talking about this presentation, are you talking about level one or level two? Um, level two. So. Uh, level one would probably definitely participate in masking even level three Mm. um okay yeah it's it's something that a lot of 
ASD individuals can hold it together if they absolutely have to, but mm. it, it's kind of like you'll pay for it later. Like, mm. like a build-up. Yeah, it's like a build-up or, a, yeah, like a a crescendo. It's like it's just it's there. It doesn't go away. Mm. Mm. Um, just because you can't see it doesn't mean there, there's no discomfort or yeah. um, that kind of thing. Um, also, girls are more social. Mm. Um Females with ASD are more social than males. Um, their special interests are also quite different. Many male children with ASD have very focused special interests. Um, for example, my little brothers was trains, okay, um, cars. That's all he wanted to do. All mm-hmm. he wanted to talk about. Um, whereas girls, they could have a a special interest that has a wider scope, like dance or, mm. um, for me, it was fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's not as noticeable. Um, my friend who has ASD, she had a, um, I think her special interest was an animal. Like, a, I can't remember which animal it was now, but she just had lots and lots of toys and stuffies of the one animal and she would collect mm. them. Um, yeah, so that's just a few ways of how they differ. Um, do you carry the, um, interests, these specific interests through life or do they change? um, They can change. My little brother is not interested in trains anymore. Um, I think maybe he got sick of it because he was so into it. It was like, he knew everything. (laughs) overkill. Yeah, there was nothing more to know. Um, but (laughs) like for me, my special interest, it can be endless because fantasy is just, there's so Mm. many different genres within that genre. Um. I still enjoy fantasy novels. Yeah. Um, what's so yes. your What's your fantasy novel right now? Oh, have you got one right now? Right now, I'm probably. I like to read. There's a, a an author called Karen Chance, and she has two series. Um, but the one I'm reading at the moment is set around a um, a woman. She's a clairvoyant, but mm. um, she's in the supernatural world. She's also the Pythia, which means the Pythia is someone that can travel through time Ooh. and change history. She has oh. to protect the timeline pretty much. But in this book, there's vampires, there's all different types of things. Um, I just really enjoy it. She's quite good at storytelling, mm. um, Karen Chance. And because you're going back in the future and back back in the past and back up to the future and then, yeah, it's it's really involved to follow Mm. so i enjoy that it's not boring Mm. okay sorry i cut you off i was just curious um (laughs) and and how they can change actually over time yes and like my friend i said before her she no longer needs to collect (laughs) stuffies okay and um teddies of this animal but um she has like other special interests now that she's older Mm. um yeah, so they can change. They're not fixed. Um, you can have more than one special interest. You can mm. have a lot of special interests. But uh, a, a a feature of ASD is that they are very passionate about mm. the things that they like. So um, they can talk for a long time about mm. something that they like. Um, and, yeah, they can be obscure things or they can be normal everyday things. Right. Like they could be a Netflix series, um, but usually they will know 
everything. There's <laughs> <laughs> a special interest that they've taken in, in the topic that I guess they're passionate about. Mm. Um, okay, so in the sense of how you work with them, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about your practice? Yeah, so for me and my practice, because I'm a counsellor, mm-hmm. of course I would be working around issues that they're finding um, difficult to process. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of ASD people um, find it hard to process situations that a neurotypical person would not really have any issue with. Um, so if an ASD person does not understand why something has happened, it is mm-hmm. very hard for them to move forward um, and they can tend to ruminate on the same point. Right. Um, over and over so my role as a counselor would be to help them to process the issue that Mm -hmm. they are finding problematic this can involve talking Mm -hmm. re-experiencing with me um, Mm -hmm. role-playing that kind of thing and just a little bit of psychoeducation around it Um, something that they are having trouble processing might be because they're just not understanding Mm. um, an aspect of an issue that I could explain to them or we could play out with a role play and that kind of thing um a lot of asc people would probably just need to vent and Mm -hmm. talk it out step it out and break it down to Mm -hmm. understand it a bit better um so yeah there'd be a lot of things like that children enjoy play therapy Mm um yeah different things like that puppets (laughs) i know my my brother and other young clients i've Mm -hmm. seen they enjoy role-playing their issue with a puppet oh hey or a doll um and then that helps them to externalize an issue as well and not continually internalize it but those are a few of the things that i would do and because the um clients and children with asd tend to be quite sensory averse or Mm. sensory what was the other one again sensory seeking Seeking. i keep forgetting that (laughs) sensory seeking um how do you maximize that in session? So if I had a client that was sensory aversive, mm-hmm. um, I would explore that with them. We could, if it was light, for example, we could explore dimming lights. We could explore how their body reacts to light and mm-hmm. just getting them to notice these things because sometimes you're actually not quite sure what aspect of the thing is triggering you or mm. bothering you until you explore it. Right. Um, for example, with um, noise-cancelling headphones, um, because I suffer from sensory aversion to sound, I used to think it was the big noises that bothered me. Mm-hmm. But since having a tool like uh, noise-cancelling headphones, I've discovered it's all the underneath noises like... like the ambient noise? Yeah, like a fan going... or um devices like tv someone's phone all of that at the same time because when you put noise cancelling headphones on all that goes immediately and you feel really calm so we would explore what type of things make you aversive to Mm. that um and what type of tools we could employ to lessen the effect Mm. of that with sensory seeking you can explore um Different senses and sensations and tools that are safe for you to use. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, your 
uh, client that you saw, it's not safe for her to consume that much sauce. Like it led to health mm. problems um, down the line. So you would explore something that would give them that same input that mm. is safe for them to use. Yeah. I wish I had the education and the knowledge um, that we have now mm. um, when working with um, children with ASD because they also are minors and they don't have that voice yes. either. And, and if they're level three, some of them are nonverbal. They yeah. cannot express um, yeah. the way or articulate the way that we would yeah. be able to. And I used to be, I, I was trained to um, positively reinforce her yes. with the things that she likes. And a lot of that involved candy. Yes. And part of that, actually all of that <laughs> didn't sit very, very well yes. with me. I was happy to put on her favorite song or um, play her favorite game. Yeah. But I was just averse to continually continually feeding her milk powder or candies yes. when she did something she was supposed to do because I was doing behavioral therapy. Yes. Um, until I found out the you know the result of how she was mm. um diagnosed as di diabetic by yes. 14 15 which obviously impacted very poorly on on me because i had been caring for her for and working with her for like six months or a year i don't yes. remember anymore time was walked yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that would be upsetting for you yeah. um and it's not healthy for her so helping them to explore healthy options yeah um yeah, is something else that I could do in session. Yeah. Um, because even as an adult, I, I sometimes I don't know what would be good to calm me down. Mm -hmm. um, but once I've thought into it and and felt through all of it, I, mm -hmm. that, that helps me to break it down. And as I said before, some ASD people have problems with processing mm. um, thoughts. So, right. um, yeah, it's easier to have a partner to break things down. Sorry, um, so you're saying that you act as a sounding board? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so a sounding board or we can um, yeah, brainstorm, mm. tease apart an issue mm. or a problem and aversion and work towards a solution together. Mm. So I'm not just going to magically pull a yeah. bag of tricks out of my pocket. Mm. Um it's all about working with the client to find what works for them and why it works for mm. them and then they have that understanding. Um, also in an ASD meltdown, it's very hard to um, think. Like it's very right. hard to to go, oh, what's going to calm me down? So if you mm. know something will calm you down, you have it by you and you can use it straight away, mm -hmm. that's much better than sitting there trying to think, oh, my God, I feel really bad. What's going to help? Because you, you're probably not going to think that in the throes of a meltdown. Is that something you explore with an ASD client, a client with ASD, um, in the initial parts, uh, the initial sessions of your? Yeah, I would probably do that mm -hmm. in the initial sessions. Right. Um, it would help to minimize distress. Yeah. Um, and then it, that that a lot of distress would be caused by, um, aversions and mm. sensory seeking. So once you minimize that, then a lot of uh, thinking space would be freed right. up in your head. You're not yeah. dealing with the annoyances. You can deal with other issues that you may be experiencing. Um, mm. Yeah, so that is probably something I would do in the initial sessions. 
So I have two questions. Mm -hmm. um, the first question is, as a counselor mm -hmm. who has been diagnosed with ASD, how do you find um, your experiences and your understanding um, most beneficial when working with clients with ASD? Well, for me, um, some features of my ASD actually really help me because one of my special interests is, is the brain and mm. our behavior and why we do the things that we do. So when I study counseling, I retain that information. Mm. Um, it's all there. It's something I'm interested in. It's something I right. always want to expand upon. So I find that really useful. Um I'm very thorough, I'm very particular, I'm very, um, everything is done very properly mm -hmm. um, because of my ASD, I'm a perfectionist. Oh. Um, so that's really helpful also. But having my personal experience, I can help a client better, I feel, because I know what it feels like. I have mm. greater empathy. Right. Um and you can relate. Yeah, I can well. relate, um, but in a way that I can also help them articulate maybe something that they can't mm. articulate because I have felt that sensation before. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think I think it is actually a big plus. Um, yeah, it didn't. I didn't really feel distressed at all when I was diagnosed. I kind of felt relieved, and then. Yeah, it, it's just, it helps me in a lot of ways to have such a, a cool brain. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that you've taken it very well. I personally would have no idea how I'd react if I received a diagnosis like that because I, my only, I guess, experience would have been working with children mm. with ASD. Um but you seem to have managed really well, so well that I, nobody knew, not even yourself, <laughs> knew that this was, yeah. you know, part of you um, going through, like, it your actually, bachelor's, your master's. It actually explained a lot of things that I had experienced or felt throughout my life. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, like a relief in many ways. Um, it was good to um, have access to more information mm. like when I was diagnosed my psychologist specializes in ASD and ASD with women so I and females I've learned a lot from her about how it presents differently mm. um I've also joined a few communities online um one of them is called I think it's called yellow ladybugs um they have a page on Facebook mm. and it's all about ASD in women and females and girls um, so wow. there's a lot of really helpful infographics. Um, I think it's run by a mother of a child with ASD who is mm -hmm. female. Um, and then there's a lot of other ladies in the comment sections that will post that either have female children with ASD or they are females with ASD. And many of them mm -hmm. have been diagnosed later in life like me. So it's also good to not feel alone in mm. that. But, um, yeah, I... I don't mind being ASD at all. <laughs> That's really good to know. You have a very healthy relationship with, um, I guess, being diagnosed with ASD because to you it's... It, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it 
reaffirming your identity or part of you in a way yeah it's and it's also making me feel like there is a reason for why i might be different to mm, other people okay um whereas before you know you might feel a bit like an alien and you can't relate to anybody and nobody knows what you're talking about when you're trying to describe something but when you're given a diagnosis you can read more about that you can look into it you can mm. find other people who have the same diagnosis and everything just fits like mm. together and your picture is made brighter and bigger because you've got a better understanding yeah better yeah. understanding more tools to use i can learn from other people about what works for them for mm. some things that might distress me or um my clients mm. um you can learn firsthand from people with diagnosis. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Science of the Soul. This is a short interruption to let you know that if you or someone you know are in need of more support, you can find me at Road to Recovery on my Facebook page, my Instagram, or my website at aroadtorecovery.org. I hope you've enjoyed listening so far. And now let's get back to the podcast. My other question is for counselors um, or therapists, the psychologists, basically mental health professionals, we're quite trained in grounding techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, We are trained in being able to alleviate um, acute distress. Yes. and some grounding techniques include breathing techniques, yes. um, naming the things that you can experience with your senses, like yes. what you see, what you hear. What you feel, what you touch. Yeah. Um, so there are a few different techniques. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if these grounding techniques translate in it, their effectiveness with clients with ASD in your experience? They do. Um, I find they're very helpful in the the build-up kind of phase. Like, mm-hmm. So maybe not in a meltdown phase. It might be a bit too far gone for that. Mm-hmm. But in the build-up phase, they can help to bring a um, more of a balance as things might be building up Um, and they're really good for the recovery stage so after a meltdown Mm. it's very good to ground yourself after that Um, I do a lot of um, like feeling tense and relief in your body Mm. Um, I can't think of the word right now that's a relaxation technique Um, it's like body work I I can't remember the exact um, term for it Mm -hmm. But it helps you to realize how your body feels when you're tense and how your body feels when you're relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've recorded an audio for that and you can find it on my website. It's mm-hmm. a free download um, if you want to listen to that at nighttime or if you were in a build-up stage to a meltdown or anybody who's stressed out really. Um, mm-hmm. I do some breath work as well, as you said. Um, yeah, all those grounding techniques I find are very helpful um, I like to do them at the beginning of my day just mm-hmm. to like set the tone for my day. Mm. Um, so it could be helpful for other people to do that as well. I'd like to check it out. Is it a, is it a meditative practice? Um, I wouldn't, some of them are like on my website, I have uh, a starting your day meditation. 
Um, and then I have other ones that are exercises that oh. you can either respond to me out loud while you're listening to it, or you can say it in your head, or you're moving your body, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, so they're all different types out there, actually. I'd love to check that out. You have to tell us your mm-hmm. website later, um, yep. towards the end of the podcast, um, so that our listeners can check it out as well. Awesome. Um, I had another question in mind. Just give me a moment. <laughs> oh, yes. So how do you, do you know, do you know how to tell um, when someone, I mean, yeah, when, when a client with ASD is in the build-up stage or the meltdown stage um, or when they're close? So for the build-up, that would be characterized um, by things like, Um, In children, they would become irritated. They might Mm -hmm. start moaning. They might start rocking back and forth. They may start picking at their skin or pulling their hair. And this is the build-up? Yeah, this is a build-up stage. They'll be restless. They might not listen to you. They might ignore you. Mm. Um, For a child, a meltdown might look like screaming. Yeah, um, Laying on the ground, hitting their head on things. pulling at their ears, their eyes, um, that kind of thing. For an adult, uh, a build-up would maybe, yeah, maybe quite similar, like presenting quite irritated, um, almost manic as in like can't sit still or not satisfied by anything, like just very cranky Mm. Um, or anxious. Mm-hmm. Very anxious, um, worried expression. Um, they might be jigging their leg a lot, or mm. they just not. They just look uncomfortable. Um, and in a meltdown, it can be quite similar to a child, even in an oh. adult. You can lose control of yourself, um, hit yourself in mm-hmm. the head. I've seen adults do that. Um, that must be distressing even as a practitioner to observe. It would be distressing to observe that. Um, it. I find it harder to watch an adult because mm-hmm. you're kind of used to watching children have... While tantrums are not meltdowns, they're mm-hmm. quite similar. Um, so it's, it, it's distressing whether it's an adult or a child, but it's almost, you kind of feel a bit hopeless with an adult. Mm. But I find um, when you're in the build-up phase, if you can tamp that down a little bit and help them to relax Mm. and not reach that meltdown phase, um, it's quite satisfying. But it's also, I actually uh, enjoy is not the right word. I like to be there to support someone after a meltdown. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot, as an adult, there are a lot of feelings of shame if you experience a meltdown mm. because of that loss of control and perhaps you've done something embarrassing like hit yourself mm. or um, throw yourself on the ground or mm. curl up in a ball. Um, many adults feel a sense of shame or embarrassment, um, but it's quite nice to be there for someone who's experienced such distress and just help centre them and calm them again. And let them know it's going to be okay. Like mm. these things happen. Even neurotypical people have yeah. meltdowns, yeah. Um, you know, road rage, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but that's that's what a build up may look like and what a meltdown may look like they're quite different you can the distress is much more marked in a meltdown than it is in the build-up but they're still both uncomfortable yeah for the person experiencing them it sounds that you it sounds like you really have to create a very safe space yes and we already do that as therapists but you for for working with clients with asd in particular that space has to almost be sacred yes and very very safe um and an adult may not disclose to you something that they find embarrassing Mm. so they might be suffering with this kind of thing a lot Mm. um but it's more than okay to talk about it and the more that you talk about things the more support you can get Mm. and figure that out um yeah. As you know, any space with a client has to be safe. Yeah. And we are there to hold space for yeah. them and whatever they bring to us. So, yes, I take that very seriously. Mm. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah, I do. Um, I was just wondering while, while you were relating the differences between um, adults presenting with uh, the build-up and meltdown. What comes to mind? Because I am quite visual and imaginative, mm. so I tend to vividly imagine everything that's being explained. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm what what comes to mind is how do you ground yourself when you are in the presence um, in and in a therapist role um, of an adult. Um, experiencing a meltdown or a build-up? For a build-up, I would just um, present in a very calm manner. Okay, just to model. Just to model what... It also, uh, as you learn in counselling, when you're in a room with just one other person, you'll usually start to act a little bit more like Mm. that person. So if you're that calm space for them, they will tend to become a bit more calmer um everything feels calmer so you're kind of gravitating towards that and you're becoming in alignment with that during a meltdown there's probably not much you could do to um stop it in its tracks it would Mm -hmm. kind of have to play out so just being there um as it played out probably not touching that probably would not help especially Mm. if someone was sensory aversive Mm. just talking in a calm manner or just waiting patiently until they're ready to talk um offering a hug or um something calming afterwards Mm. um even like a drink of water yeah some people like to um I wouldn't do this in session, but if they were at home after a meltdown, have a shower and wash those feelings away. Yeah. Um, you could do a relaxation exercise if they were open to it afterwards. And just holding space and if they need to vent or talk about it or if they mm. don't want to talk about it, just following your client's lead. Yeah, um, so being really client-centered. Yes, and like we learn when um, we learn about mental health first aid mm-hmm. and how you would approach someone in a situation like that that's probably how i would approach mm. someone who's just had a meltdown or is experiencing one in front of you um it's not quite common for it to happen in session mm. it's usually more of a build-up type of scenario um okay. because of the masking 
Many, many people will have a meltdown in a place that they feel safe. Um, If they felt safe with you in session, they may do that. Um, And children are more likely to do that. But many adults usually will not have a meltdown until they're at home. They'll Mm. try and hold themselves together until they're at home. Or um, if, if it does happen in a public area, it usually triggers a lot of shame and embarrassment afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have yet to experience an mm. adult meltdown in session. Um, but yeah, so I would just continue to be a safe space if that was to happen and approach from a mental health first aid mm. perspective, which is, you know, lower your voice, mm. um, talk very calmly, ask calming questions, grounding questions, um, help them breathe. I already feel calm. Yeah. You. <laughs> you, you're mirror. Yeah. There's a lot of mirroring happening here. Yes. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us that you think would be useful for our listeners to know about people that they know with ASD or counseling with ASD? Um, I guess for me is if you have any suspicions that you might have ASD, um, act on that. So visit a psychologist that specializes in ASD. Um, You know, you can use Google to type in that kind of thing. Mm. Um, Get an assessment for yourself. Um, I always felt I was different. I didn't realize how different. Mm. Um, But that having that diagnosis, some people are, I think, afraid of the label, but having that diagnosis has enabled me to access more support. Right. Um, so I am able to use things like in Australia we have the NDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can access that and I now have support, um, which was greatly needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that kind of thing. Even for your child, the same thing goes. You can have a whole bucket load of support that you may not have even realised was available mm. to you. Um, and your NDIS can help you with things like therapy, um, help you to pay with for therapy, whether it be counselling like what you and I do mm. or occupational therapy. It can help with things like housework or helping you go to an appointment um, there are a lot of things you can do with that. So, yeah, that would be well, kind of my advice. Um, yeah, don't be scared of it. It's not It's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a different way to live. Yes. This is a different presentation um, that requires different strategies, really. Yes. Thank you so much That's for Carla. Okay. Thank you for having me. Um, I've had a really nice time and I wanted to ask you to share with our listeners your website. So my website is www.maramacounseling, so that's M-A-R-A-M-A, counseling.com. Um, two L's. Two L's. Australian okay. spelling. <laughs> Just checking. Um, so that's www.maramacounseling, one word, yeah. dot com. Yes. So check out her website. Um, She is a very competent counselor. I know that for a fact. (laughs) And um, until next time. So if you or someone you know might need counseling support, 
um, whether in ASD or any other areas, feel free to contact e either of us. Yes. And we'll be more than happy to assist you. Thank you once again. Thank and you. Until next time. Bye. Bye.